when can we go explicit? When uh, when are we changing over? Do a live three IL pod after dark. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to Three Idiots and a Lawyer. I'm Matt Pfeiffer, along with Joe Shell, Brett Fortnum, and Kevin O'Keefe. And it is time for our Syracuse football preview episode. Uh, this is something that I know we've been waiting for, we've been excited for, and it is finally here. It is football season. Syracuse takes the field at noon on Saturday. They head to Chapel Hill, North Carolina to play the 18th ranked Tar Heels of the University of North Carolina under Mac Brown. Uh, certainly not going to be an easy schedule for Syracuse after the new COVID schedule came out. A uh, lot of tough games, but still, there's a reason, guys, to be excited. It is football season. Syracuse is taking the field. I know last year was a disappointing year, five and seven after that ten and three year. But uh, you know, there's there's reasons to be hopeful that maybe, just maybe, this year. Uh, Syracuse can get into a rebuilding mode with some new coordinators and find themselves in a good position at the end of the year, maybe make a bowl game. So, guys, what are we thinking as we head into this season? It's not going to be an easy slate, but they got some winnable games at home. There's there's a lot of returning players. What do we think? Syracuse football 2020. It's going to be an uphill battle for sure. Um, we have a lot of question marks, a lot of question marks all over the field, pretty much everywhere except the secondary, which is not something you have to say as a Syracuse fan very often. Um, but there's a lot we need to see. We need to see, you know, what's the offensive line going to look like? What's Tommy DeVito going to be? Um, what's the new defense going to look like? Is it going to fit our personnel? There's a lot we have to find out, and hopefully we kind of get an idea pretty early on what's, what's going to happen this year. When you talk personnel, I guess it is important right away to point out a few things, and some of this is very new. Uh, first of all, Abdul Adams and Jarvian Howard have opted out of the season. Of course, under the NCAA rules, players can opt out this year um, and still retain their eligibility. Uh, they don't lose a year of eligibility if they opt out this year because of the pandemic. Uh, another um, not good piece of news for Syracuse came down today. We're recording this on Thursday, September 10th. And that is that Chris Blake, uh, the offensive lineman from the university of Florida, after waiting about four plus months for, to see if the NCAA would grant his waiver, the NCAA did not grant his waiver. That would have been much needed help from a guy with a full season of sec starting experience. Uh, on an offensive line. So uh, that's a big hit for Syracuse. I don't know if it's really surprising at this point, considering uh, that it was taking so long. So a lot of questions on that O-line. Also, you see Chris Elmore, the fullback, now being put in at left tackle. I have to say, I see that. That raises alarm bells. Why are we moving somebody from fullback to such a critical position on the someone who's line. been an asset elsewhere on the field, an absolute asset on offense, and even he played some defensive line and did. did a decent job. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. That that's alarming because of how useful he was elsewhere, and he's kind of small and it extremely inexperienced to be our starting left guard. It, it's 
we've we've talked about the offensive line before and the hopes that it would actually be a strength this year with returning starters. And it worries me that after the the NCAA's decision with Blake and um, the we're already starting to have injury trouble on the O-line that we do have to line up Elmore because, I mean, we, we know that DeVito has trouble when the pocket collapses. He, he's not terrible when he has protection, um, but his decision-making last year when, when the pocket collapsed was not very good. Um, now, I do expect him to improve just with a full year under his belt. I think he will be a little bit better. But if if the O-line cannot see significant improvement from last year, I think we're, we might be in for another long season. Well, one the one way that you can def- make sure that, that your quarterback is not having the pocket collapsing in front of him all the time is to have good pass blocking, but the other way is to actually have a run game. And seeing as our two starting running backs are – out pretty I mean I don't, I don't see them coming back this year we now are relying on Jawar Jordan and Markenzie Pierre and I'm hearing about this guy Cooper Lutz who might be some sort of an H-back I, I think he got some snaps at he was recruited as a running back and they switched him to receiver but now it looks like they're moving him back to running back yeah so I mean like what do you think about like a Dante Strickland kind of situation for him or, or like you know a traditional H back, like just move guys around, you know, kind of spread things out a little bit, get the pressure off of them, maybe run some of Matt's favorite bubble screens, you know, get and and do it properly the way it's supposed to be done. It, it sounds like Pierre is more of a blocking back and a power guy, and then you know Jordan is more of the the speedster who who might get a little bit more carries, but he's he's a little undersized. Dino Babers runs a better bubble screen than Scott Schaefer or Doug Marone did because he's got the speed to do it and because they put blocking out there. It's still a play I generally hate, but it has worked more frequently in this offense than it has in any of the previous iterations of the Syracuse offense I've seen. Now, I'll be honest, running back is not the position I'm overly concerned about because we've seen from Jawar Jordan, he has an explosiveness. He has the talent that he could eventually be. He, he probably was going to be on his way to being a starting running back anyway. It's just moving him up much quicker into that role, which obviously is a lot for a true sophomore, but it's not something that I, I'm overly concerned about. Uh, running back is one of the deeper positions on this Syracuse football team, so if you were going to have guys opt out, that was where. Uh, it's still not a great situation. You would much rather have Abdul Adams, um, who although didn't have a great year last year, uh, certainly is that big physical presence on the inside. Um, you know, and you'd like to have Jarvian Howard as the power runner with the explosiveness that he has. But I think still with what you have there, I, I it's not that's not the part of the game I'm worried about as much. I, I'm still offensively much more concerned about the offensive line, and what that means for the passing game. You certainly have good receivers, but do you have time to get the ball to those receivers? Are we going to have Tommy DeVito on the run again as soon as he gets the ball? If he's on the run against this schedule, I mean, that's going to be murder for him. The man was sacked, what, 35 times last year? I think this team gave up 50 total sacks last year. 35 of them are poor Mm -hmm. Tommy. You, You can't do that. If Syracuse is going to be competitive here you've got to give him time now granted 
Uh, an O-line that doesn't give you time is also going to be tough to run with, but that seemed to have affected our running backs a little less than our passing game. So running game, I'm not as worried. Passing game, I have concerns. I, I think we need a running back. We need a running back or someone in the backfield that can catch a ball, who can he, – he can catch it. That's, and that's Jordan. That's Gerard Jordan, yards, hands you know. down. Just run that play, you know, sprinkle it in there just to keep the pressure off and sort of disincentivize the pass rush because that's where Tommy just starts folding. Yeah. For for a com- uh, Matt, I'm really glad that you brought up the wide receivers because I think that's that is the obvious strength of the offense with Taj Harris and Nikeem Johnson um, coming back because they're going to be able to get open. I think they'll be able to get open against most any defense that gets thrown their way. Um, the question is, you know, are they going to be able to get downfield? Um, I, I like the idea of sprinkling in that, that bubble screen. And I think the difference with how Dino has used the bubble screen versus the Schaefer and even the Marone days is it's not a reliant part of the offense. It is a um, feature of the offense. And that, that's a huge difference because it does keep defenders on their toes a little bit. It, it's all going to come down to whether or not Tommy DeVio can stay upright and whether or not he developed, because yeah. as I've said many times, he didn't show anything last year that made me confident that he is a quarterback that can lead the team to, I don't want to say greatness because I, I, I wouldn't expect that from him, but to eight wins. Now you guys are right. It, he had a slew of, Issues working against him. He was obviously injured a bit last year. The offensive line was a disgrace. But I wonder how much better things are lining up. Sterling Gilbert could could be very good for him. I'm I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. Yeah, everyone's kind of alluded to it, and I, I would agree. The weapons on offense, they're out there. Whether the offense has enough time to let plays develop, I I think what would make our offense at its best would be if we were capable of running plays that take a little bit of time to develop. If Tommy can throw the ball downfield, that's when we're really going to shine. Kevin alluded to having a running back who can, you know, be a receiving threat out of the backfield. That is Jawar Jordan's game. If you're looking for a comparison, the the closest I could come up with is he's more of like an Irv Phillips type. Mm. If you remember when Irv Phillips first came up, he was a running back, and then we ended up converting him to a slot receiver. He's going to be that sort of shifty, dangerous player in the open field. What he's going to look like running between the tackles in the backfield, I, I don't really know yet, but I know when the kid gets the ball in his hands, uh, he's going to be electric. And then Brett alluded to the returning receivers that we have. We know we lost Tristan Jackson, but Taj Harris has shown – over the past couple of seasons to be a pretty good threat. But I'm pretty excited to see the new receivers, namely Anthony Queeley and Ed Hendricks, especially Ed Hendricks. I'm surprised to see him behind Queeley on the depth chart. Hendricks has long been considered possibly the most talented receiver on the roster and just cannot stay healthy and cannot get on the field. So I really want to see what happens there. Um, But the weapons are out there. We just need Tommy to stay on his feet. This this is kind of Tommy's last chance. If if he starts doing some of those things he did last year, again this year, you're going to have a lot of me's turning into a lot of Bretts when it comes to Tommy DeVito, and it's not going to take long. I think if he plays poorly on Saturday, he's going to lose the fan base right off the bat. I just, I just, I mean, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, 
I, I just can't, I can't forgive a quarter. I, I mean, obviously it's a new season, but in the moment I get very frustrated when a quarterback throws the ball away on fourth down in the fourth quarter, you know, when you, when you need to at least put the ball in play. I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's worse to throw the ball away on fourth down than it is to throw a pick when that's the end of the game. Anyway, you might as well make an attempt at some weird crap happening and somebody ending up with it and getting a first down and having a shot at the game rather than just, okay, well, I don't, I don't want to get hit. So I'm going to throw it to the sideline. Um, but I mean, I don't know where any of you, I don't know much about him. Do you guys know what, what the, what the prospects are for Rex Culpepper? If there, if he were to, get a look i mean cross your fingers tommy doesn't get hurt that's right that's where I mean, they're at i don't i, I don't i don't I, we only saw he's him. a he's a great kid and maybe if he hadn't gotten sick he would have had a better career but i i don't want to see him in the game i really don't and he that's nothing like personal times last year but i i really nothing really stands out to me you know, there's there's guys deeper on the depth chart, but they don't have the experience yet. That's that's the problem. I mean, there's some there's some guys down there. They're just they're not ready yet. <laughs> they haven't had the experience. So yeah, I mean, you really you're gonna need Tommy DeVito to stay healthy. If year. Tommy gets a turf turd in his eye and someone needs to come in and run a play or two, sure, Rex is the guy. That's fine. He knows the offense. Yeah. If Tommy goes down long term, you have to hope one of the younger guys steps up. Maybe. A David Summers can show us what he has to offer because it, it's probably mostly due to getting sick. But Rex Culpepper is just not not the guy for us on an every game basis. The guy who could be looked at in that situation, it's hard to say if they would jump straight to a true freshman. Might be this this Dylan Markowitz from Texas. If we went, was it McKinney in Texas? You know, if you had to go to a long term solution. He might be the guy that they would go to in that situation. He was certainly relatively highly ranked. So, you know, that might be the guy who get called. And if, gets if called. you look back to when Terrell Hunt got hurt, none of us really knew who the hell Eric Dungey was. So you just, you never know. I, I'd like to flip the the script a little bit, talk about the defense, because yeah. I don't know about you guys. I'm concerned and it's not because of the players so much. I mean, I I love the idea of going the three three five, but what I'm worried about is going to the three three five when we've had such an abridged off season. Trying to bring in a completely new defense when you've been dealing with you know missed practices and just a a completely unavoidable but unforeseen situation with COVID. I think it normally will, will take a few games to really get that defense going. And I fear that they don't have that type of buffer, especially with the first game against UNC, which is one of the better teams they're going to face this year um, mm-hmm. with a with the quarterback and Sam Howell, who has been looking pretty good. So yeah. it's just, it, it, I, I think it's concerning, even though they, they have a ton of talent, especially um, with the defensive backs. It, it just, it worries me. I, I don't think there's anything to really quell those fears. It's definitely not an ideal situation. The only silver lining I, I really have to offer is what you already alluded to, is that it's a system that's built to our strengths, at least personnel-wise. Our best players are going to be put in a position to succeed, which are namely our elite defensive backs. And I honestly think we have the right guys up front. We're going to get some pressure from our front three. 
The guy I am going to be looking for a lot from this year is Josh Black. The kid is an athletic freak, and he's getting pushed back to end in the three-man front now. So look for Josh Black um, to really make some noise this year, along with, obviously, McKinley Williams, who we missed most of last season due to injury, but before that was a productive player. So if there's any silver lining, like I said, it's that the system is built to our strengths, whether they're, you know, ready to really roll out the new system or not, or if it's going to completely fall flat. You are replacing a lot up front. I would point out in that, and that's going to be something that, uh, the defensive line, I think you have not as many concerns as linebacker (laughs) linebacker. There's just, it, it's going to be a complete revamping uh, there. And, you know, linebacker is just such a key position, especially in this style of defense. Now, I guess if there's a positive, I'll give one other silver lining here is Syracuse hasn't run this and North Carolina and Pitt won't have seen it. Uh, so you're not going to have a lot of opportunities to prepare for it. 335 is all about creating confusion and really making it difficult for for an offense to do anything. Syracuse fans, uh, to give you an idea, somebody who ran a 3-3-5 effectively on us, Maryland, uh, ran a 3-3-5 very effectively on Syracuse uh, last year. Now, ignore the rest of their season. But um, overall, I mean, it. so that was the once worst it starts... Of all time. I've, I've never, no, I've never been game of all time, but it was a terrible game. I was at that game. Brett was at that game. It was the worst. It was the worst. It was. So I was there too. <laughs> and, and and Matt, yeah, it was, it was it was bad. I I just I want to block it out. <laughs> right. Kevin may or may not have almost gotten into a fight with a drunk. Uh, yeah, yeah, he almost got into a fight with me. I didn't chat <laughs> like that. That was a one sided disagreement. Just to quickly bounce off of what what Matt is saying, totally agree. There's no experience out of our linebacking core. It's a huge concern. But again, kind of what Brett's asking for, if we're pulling for silver linings out of trying to install a new defense in this crazy season, it's that the linebackers, where there's no experience, those are also some of the guys who have been our highest rated recruits in the last few years. Um, Michael Jones uh, was a high recruit, has been really impressing. Uh, Jeff Canton-Arku was a pretty high-level recruit. And backing him up is Lee Kapogba, who I'm surprised isn't the guy who ended up winning that middle linebacker job. The surprise here is Stefan Thompson, who I had never even heard of before, ends up winning the one of the outside linebacker jobs. Um, Steve Linton was long the the favorite for that job. So yeah, lots of question marks, but they're a talented group. So hopefully they can um, impress with their athleticism and hopefully they know the scheme, but Brett's right. There's, it's a lot to ask for them to learn a new scheme in time to play an offense like North Carolina. You don't get your warm up games this year. You're diving right in. Um, the one thing, and someone mentioned it in terms of creating confusion, but the, the nice thing about the, the 335 is you don't know where the blitz is coming from. That's the, the whole confusion element. I'm excited to see that because I think those types of defenses generally bode well in the college game. So, I I mean, even though they're losing a lot up front and we're asking a lot from a um, linebacker group that we don't know is coming, I think the talent is there to put together. I just think it might take until the third or fourth game. Well, I don't think that we've ever known less going into the first game of the season. 
just because the practices have been closed. We didn't have a spring game. We just, we don't have any, the buzz. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the buzz just has not been there. It doesn't exist. Game. It just, it's not there. Right. Uh, but I, people are going to be terrible this year. That's one of the reasons. I'll do a flashback to one of the previous episodes that we did when we acquired Cody Roscoe. I just like the fact that Sterling Gilbert was his head coach at McNeese State. I, I I just think that is there's a reason he came. I don't know how many snaps he's going to see, but there's a reason that he came to Syracuse, and I'm I'm hoping for big things out of him. He's going to be in the pass rush rotation. You'll I, see. Him. I really think that the key to this particular game is getting pressure on Sam Howell because they've got a lot of really great skill players that are experienced, but they don't have a lot of seniority on the line. So I just want to exploit that as 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 much as we possibly can, make him uncomfortable, make him make throws that he doesn't want to make, and get him off the field. I I before we um, go on, I do want to mention on the other side of the ball really quickly uh, a position we didn't talk about, but is worth talking about because it's actually a very strong position. Has been a very strong position in the Syracuse offense, honestly pretty much as long as we've been watching. And that's tight end. You know, you've got Aaron Hackett, you've got Luke Benson. Um, Luke Benson's young, talented. He scored a couple times. Very fast. fast. I really like this tight end core, and that's going to give a couple other receivers out there for, uh, for Tommy to look for. And I would expect to see the tight end position be very important in this offense, especially when you're getting closer to the red zone. Uh, you, they like to use those tight ends, even when they're between like the 20 and the 40 yard line as they're moving uh, the 20, 40, the opponents, 20 to 40 really seem to like to use that, um, to get first downs and, and move down the field. So I think you're going to see the tight ends be a critical part of this Syracuse offense. And they've got two tight ends that I think are ready to, to be a critical part. They've got the talent. They've got the athleticism. They both have good hands, um, and they're big targets, and I think that's that's a good thing for Tommy DeVito. I hope you're right. I really hope you're right because I always felt like we never utilized Ravion Pierce enough. I yeah. I feel like the last time I was excited about a Syracuse tight end was Nick Provo. Hey, there's that, a name drop. He was that great. statement that it's been Welcome. what is yeah. seven years, but I, I I can't say that I've been excited about a a Syracuse tight end since then. I. Love to get back to that. I mean, obviously, tight ends are not the sexiest uh, players on the field. They, 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 you know, they really earn their keep with the blocking and, and all that, especially at the college level. Um, but they don't I get used. Yeah, another Nick Provo type, you know. Yeah. yeah. One, one more thing to throw out there before we we move on from what our potential struggles on offense may be. What gives us a little bit of hope is North Carolina has had a lot of turnover on their their defensive line. Um, so their pass rush is very, very inexperienced, and their secondary has had a lot of turnover and is very inexperienced. So if there were ever a game for the offensive line to show up and give Tommy time, and for Tommy to take that time and throw the ball downfield and make some big plays, this is it. So yeah, they, they really need to step up and show us that it, it's not going to be a dumpster fire. Syracuse is going to score points in this game. Let's be very clear. I'm not picking Syracuse to beat North Carolina. I think North Carolina just has a level of athleticism that is going to be hard to match in week one and just experience from that team being together. But I'll tell you what, Syracuse is going to put points on the board. Um, it's it's going to be, it, you know, they're they're going to at least make 
North Carolina think about. North Carolina isn't going to be able to look over Syracuse. Syracuse is going to put points on the board um, because Sy- North Carolina's strength is offense. It's not necessarily defense. And and I'll tell you, this is where it becomes, if Syracuse's defense can do what it can in terms of creating turnovers, which they've been able to do in the past, then they can completely change this game. If you go into that final quarter down a touchdown, up a touchdown, even even down 10, you you've got a you you've got a chance. And I think that's all you're asking yeah. in week 1 when you're facing the 18th ranked team in the country and there's not a lot of uh it, you know, there's not a lot of intensity. People aren't overly excited about you. You're looking for that. The other thing, it's week 1. Teams are messy in week one, even good teams. If North Carolina makes more mistakes, you got to capitalize on them and you can find yourself at the end hanging right with them. Obviously, we've seen much less talented teams than Syracuse beat teams that are better than North Carolina in these week one matchups because the, the team that might be better on paper is making mistakes and the other team takes advantage and hangs and then they're there. And next thing you know, there's two minutes to go and that lower ranked team is up. This just came to me, but I think the strategy here could be somewhere, maybe not quite as, as intense, but against Clemson back, I guess it was 2018 game or the home game that we won or the road game that we almost won barely lost right 2018 meaning that the the strategy here i think needs to be we have to force them to run the ball because sam howell will crush us they have they have a i think he was an all-american wide receiver over a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns receiving last year they got Um, two of them they, oh, they got yeah, they, yeah, and they and and their their running back. While I think he crushed, he got across the thousand yard mark, is not as much of a threat. Didn't play as much of a part in the offense. I think we need to make them run the ball and then stop the run. That's what we didn't do with Clemson. We just let ATN run the ball down our throat, and then that was just him running over and over again, and we couldn't. We stop also concussed down. Trevor Lawrence pretty early in that game. Well, yeah, I was, was going to gloss over that. Part, um, but I, I think it's I think it's interesting that you say that because I also had a note down here about the key is going to be stopping the run and are we capable of doing that? I was reading up a little bit on what to expect from North Carolina. Uh, Noon's Magician does a really good piece every week um, where they do a Q&A with the other team's blog. Mm-hmm. And North Carolina fans are expecting a lot from one of their running backs. They kind of have two guys who work as a tandem. And they're expecting big things from their running game. So I, I have no idea what our linebacking core is going to look like. If they can slow the run down, I trust our secondary to hold those wide receivers, you know, reasonably in check. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it's going to, we're going to have to make them run. We're going to need to have Melophone will develop into a lockdown corner. Cisco is going to be uh, playing from the rover position, hopefully creating some turnovers, being disruptive. We have to make them run the ball, and we can't let them run run it down our throats. So the exact thing that came to my mind was Travis Etienne in that exact game. That's what I, I'm afraid of happening. Well, I think I, I, I'm just terrified that that Sam Howell is gonna just come out and just be gangbusters. Guy had 38 touchdowns last year. Yeah, he totally could. He totally could. He had one of the best seasons of any freshman in the history of football. Maybe Lamar Jackson gave him a run. I mean, like it was insane. 
Um, and the more I read about this guy, the more scared I get that we're just going to get eaten up. Well, I know this take might be a little bit tired, but we absolutely have to win the turnover battle here. Mm-hmm. And I think that with our secondary, it's not out of the question. Um, I think that it, it you almost always see a little bit of a sophomore dip um, that next year. So maybe Howell is not going to be um, the golden boy that he was his freshman year. And I think that our secondary will absolutely confuse him. I don't know how often he's seen um, a three-three-five. Yeah. The wired take is, I think we're going to get three turnovers from them this weekend, and that's going to put us in the game. It's whether or not we'll be able to convert those turnovers. Can I just point out, because we haven't mentioned him, and we should at least, a guy who's going to be a big difference at the end of these games and in general in taking advantage of when you have the uh, uh, when you have the ball is Andre Schmidt. Andre Schmidt was a little down last year after you know winning the Lou Groza as a freshman, but the reality is Syracuse still has one of the best place kickers in college football, uh, and the man is a major weapon because if you can make forty-five and fifty-yard field goals, you can guarantee that. If you can get in those positions, you can be at least scoring something most of the time you have the ball. I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that because I think that is critical. Um, and then rolling from that into this, I mean, look, if we're going to talk about the UNC game, I like UNC's uh, the, the athleticism that they have at wide receiver. You've got 2,000-yard receivers. I think when you mix it with Hal, I just don't think that's going to work too well this week for Syracuse. I'm going to take UNC 42-24 over the orange in this one. So, so yeah. Kevin, what do you think about the UNC game? Yeah, um, I think we're. I think the the masses are taking UNC, but they're picking Syracuse to cover. I think it's a twenty-three. It's like twenty-two spread. and a half. It's, yeah, it was a lot. Ridiculous. There's no way we're losing by twenty-three points. But I'll I'll go with the uh, thirty-one. Uh, or the 24 points you expected, Matt, but I'm going to go 31-24 UNC. Uh, I think we stick in the game, and uh, I think we're there, but I don't I don't think that we we get across the goal line on this one. Um, I hope I'm wrong, um, and I, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I also hope I'm right in that I, I really hope that this is a game. Uh, yeah. But I could easily see them rolling over us too, but if I'm – if I'm betting on this, I'm going to guess that we're going to lose by a score. Okay. Joe? All right. Um, I really hope I'm wrong. What I see happening, if you're going to twist my arm and make me say it out loud now, is that we go into halftime uh, and it's like 14-all at halftime and then we end up losing 38-20. Just It gets away from us late. Okay. Brett? I'm thinking – uh, 30, 14, I think the offense is really going to struggle. Um, we'll keep it close for the first half. Um, but I think the UNC offense is going to find its groove in the second half, um, a little bit more yeah. and it's going to be uphill. All right. Fair enough. Let's take a look at the 2020 schedule and then we'll do those, um, uh, our predictions for the season here. Um, just, just a quick overview. We talked about the schedule before, but without it in order. So let's just quickly run through this in order so everybody hears it. At UNC this week, um, which was not previously on our schedule. At Pitt, uh, who we always struggle against. 
Uh, home with Georgia Tech, that's the one team that the media voters picked behind Syracuse in the preseason media poll. Duke, uh, who Syracuse beat pretty handily last year, but the Blue Devils have Chase Bryce, former quarterback from Clemson now, on their squad. From that Home with, game that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, well, there you go. Home with Liberty, uh, that's the one non-conference game. At Clemson, uh, I need say no more about that. Home with Wake Forest. Wake's a good team. That's a, They bring back a lot. Took uh, the very end for Syracuse to win that game in the Dome last year. Wake Forest is not going to be a pushover. That's a good football team. Boston College, new head coach. Uh, so new system there will be interesting. That would have been Syracuse's opener, which um, would have been part of what I think would have been a pretty soft open. Uh, I think Syracuse, in its original schedule for this year, I think could have very easily started 4-0. Um, and uh, BC, I think, would have been that good first win at Louisville on November twentieth uh, after a bye week. That that's uh, going to be a rough one, I think, as well. Uh, just and another another very tough game. Uh, November twenty eighth, North Carolina State, very beatable team. Uh, obviously, we remember what happened last year down in Raleigh. Uh, very close loss uh, in what was just an overall ugly game by both teams. And December fifth at um, ACC opponent for one season, Notre Dame, a team that could put themselves in playoff contention, especially without the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Uh, so this is a bear of a schedule. I need not tell anybody. Um, Notre Dame and <laughs> and Duke and UNC, we're not previously on this schedule and you lose Western Michigan, who was rebuilding, Rutgers, who was rebuilding, Colgate, who was your gimme, uh, and you get BC at the other end of the schedule where they might have figured things out a little more. This isn't going to be an easy schedule at all. Um, I think this is the toughest schedule Syracuse has had in a long time. I look at this. Your four toughest games are on the road. I don't pick them in any of them. Uh, and I think you've got to expect them to lose one of those ones that you would hope they win. So I have Syracuse five and six in 2020. Same. I have five and six. I think you're going to see a much better team. Um, the record may not indicate it all that much, but I think there's going to be a lot of growth that we end up seeing. Um, you're, and like you said, you're going to win one that you don't expect to win. You're going to drop one that you didn't think you should have. And we're going to end up just short of, uh, I don't even know what's going. I don't even know how the bowl games are going to work this year. But I don't even know if there's going to be all the extra bowl games. But I don't even know if we're going to get to the end of the season, to be honest. Yeah. But let's let Kevin have his say. Yeah, well, I'll I'll do what I do a lot, and I'm going to just disagree with the premise. Right? I don't think we're playing eleven games. I don't think we're. I, I'm hoping we're not going to play Liberty. Um, I, I when I was on my honeymoon, I actually listened to uh, the the podcast that you guys had two weeks ago, and I really got a kick out of Joe's just taking down ev- not only just not just Liberty University and the football program, but every alumni of that university. Uh, I just I that that was priceless. It's public um, service. I, I, don't think, I don't think we're playing Liberty, so I'm saying we're going to go five and five. Uh, okay, I think that gets you into a quote unquote bowl eligible. Um, you know, universe, whatever that might mean. Maybe that means everybody gets together and plays a game of Madden. I, I don't even know what the, the, the bowl situation is going to be. But, uh, yeah, I think we go five and five. And I'll also use this as an opportunity to 
complain about two things. Um, the AP has UNC listed as the number 18 team. The coaches poll has them as the number 19 team. Uh, those, those numbers mean nothing. Ohio State is number two. Uh, so those are going to change. And why the heck are we even going to have – why don't we use this as a great chance to just not have rankings in college football for a year? You know, because it just it doesn't. Because that's work. not the way it's done. We Kevin. could lose. That, 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 we could lose any set of, and the American end up in the top twenty-five. Like, it doesn't matter. Like you way. need numbers. You you need to see a, a number next to teams. People need to know how good they are. Will, and even if it doesn't tell you how good they are, people need to hear how just, good they are. Yeah, remember when we were ranked twenty-second last year to start the season? Or twenty-fourth. Oh, someone's oh. of normalcy, and I think it's bullshit. Um, Pardon my my language. And the other yeah, thing was, well, most of it's okay. BS. When COVID nineteen hit, right, and there was going to be a college football season, and the Big Ten and the Pac twelve canceled their seasons. The only thing I could think of as a positive was that we wouldn't be in noon games, and we've got nothing but noon games. We got this week noon. We got next week noon against Pitt. <laughs> so we're just playing noon games. What the hell are we doing? <laughs> Gotta set your spot. coffee pot before you go to bed. Well, here's here, Kevin. If the if the team starts winning, you'll have fewer noon games. Then they'll start getting prime time. Brett. So in other words, noon games and noon games. And speaking of which, um, Kevin, I'm so tempted to take your five and five because I can't count, and that's what I initially had. Um, no. But I don't think they're going to cancel the Liberty game. They did not cancel that game it, unless money. they decide to test money. the players. Naked money grab. Naked no if. if but the, if they haven't canceled it yet, they're not going to cancel it. I say we either cancel that game or they test their players. I don't see any middle ground there. I want you to be right. I do. Like, why just, the hell would you risk that? You know, like. You shouldn't. But I just, I don't, I don't trust anyone involved in college football. So I think they're going to play it. And as much as I want to say six and five, I can't. I, I can't quite bring myself to, you know, screw it. Six and five. I'm going to be the optimist of the group. And I'm, this I'm is going a to first, wrong. ladies and gentlemen. I'm, this is I'm a going first. Be, I'm going to be dead wrong. But can we, uh, can we phone the International Space Station and tell them that the the world needs to be on high alert for something? Because Let's let him finish. Let's let him finish. What, what's he going to say? Go ahead, Brett. Oh, I, there's no logic here. Don't worry. Um, it's just blind hope. It's it's new systems. It's the fact that everyone's going to struggle, and I, that I think it, it's blind trust in Dino Babers because he's only made one bowl game so far, and I think he's a better coach than that. And I think giving him Sterling Gilbert um, back is going to do a hopefully a lot for the offense, and I think they're going to figure it out. I'm excited for the three three five. It's really more about thinking that everyone else is going to struggle too, and that these players, even with the opt-outs, they're just this team seems to be together in a way that I haven't seen before, and maybe that's the COVID silver lining is that they've kind of rallied around each other, and I'm hoping that they're going to do that better than other college teams, but I could be dead wrong. This group could very easily go um you know four and seven but i'm 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 gonna go six and five because i i, I want to be the optimist for a change 
I have one, one, one thing like to throw that. out there, not not to immediately and completely undermine what Brett's trying to say. Now, are you I, really going to take this from Brett? Are you really going to take this well, from Brett? Because if you're going to take this from Brett, I already know my what made Brett mad, mad this week is the fact that you undermining Brett being positive. I have to. I have a, I have a duty to our, our sprawling yeah. fan base. <laughs> so apparently the opting out of Abdul Adams and Jarvion Howard was a large fracturing point in the locker room and really divided the team because they left for what a lot of guys perceive to be selfish reasons, being that uh, they both claimed to be opting out to prepare for the NFL draft. And apparently that caused a lot of division in the locker room. I hope so I, 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 did, I did hear that as well, but I just think that in, in every great movie, you need the moment where... It doesn't look good. And I'm going to say that's that moment. And it's 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 going to take a few games where the team might not look together. But if we know one thing about Dino, it's that he can pump up a team. And I think the way that he's handled everything thrown his way this season so far has been impressive. And I think that I think they're going to come around. And I think they're going to rally around Dino. And I think this this is the moment for Tommy DeVito his development off the field is going to matter at least as much as on the field with this and whether or not he can be a leader. And as I say, I could be dead wrong and I'm, I would bet against me, but I just, I don't know what got into me today, but well, I don't want to, I, I wanted to pick 500 cause I thought I was kind of a push. I don't want to pick this team to be sub 500. I just don't want to do it. So I'm going to say six and five. This is appropriate for, for Brett to be an optimist is appropriate because this is the weirdest year, I think, on record, not just football, <laughs> but I mean, if there's any indication, I don't know if you caught, guys caught the first quarter of the Texans and Chiefs game, but David frickin' Johnson he scored looks awesome. the first touchdown of the NFL He looks season. awesome. He, he looks so good. David Johnson, like literally the David Johnson, Amazing. the guy who has not managed to stay on the field for more than three snaps in a row since 2017 or whatever it is. He scored the oh. first touchdown of the season. There you if that's go. That's any indication well, of how weird this year is going to be football wise. Then maybe Brett's going to be the the the, the sunshine and daisies and 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 he gets all his optimistic wishes and all this stuff and and then Syracuse is going to roll to a nine and two season somehow <laughs> there we in the go. ACC. The weirdest <laughs> thing ever. Um, well, I'll say this. You know, and, and the Pitt game will be close because every time we play Pitt is close. And, well, and yeah, it's going to be 72 to 70. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, depending how that goes, if you look at the other side of those two road games that are going to be very tough, Syracuse has got three very winnable games in a row. You get on a roll, or if you pull out one of these first two, you know, you could put yourself in a really good position going down the stretch. So we'll see what happens. You know, there's there's reason to have hope, and and let's let's hope that Brett is right and me and Joe and Kevin are wrong. Uh, all right. Well, we did mention the NFL, and I do want to at least mention a bit of the NFL because we are taping this on opening night of the National Football League. Uh, and we're going to do a little fun segment here that I didn't tell my colleagues about, but we're doing it because it's fun. Uh, and uh, So I'm going to give you six games. Uh, I'm going to give you the spread and you pick 
You pick against the spread. Don't give me any reason. <laughs> just gut feeling here. All right. Can I, can I just say that if somebody leads with because it's fun, it usually is not fun. <laughs> That's what the well, teacher says when you need to do like your, your math tables or whatever in the fourth grade. All right. Well, we're going to start with Kevin here. Philadelphia, five and a half point favorite at Washington. Now I'll take the over on that. Take the over. What do you think, Joe? Uh, I don't know, man, Matt, you're really putting me on the spot. All right, Brett. What do they got? Tua? Is he the quarterback now? Uh, no, Tua's not Miami. Yeah. Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne, Dwayne Haskins. That's what, Dwayne Haskins. Oh, God. I don't um, think Washington's going to win a game all year. They don't I'm deserve The Washington to. football team. That's what. I'm, I'm going to take the under, um, I I think Philly's going to win, but I don't think it's going to be by as nearly as much as we think. And it's not because I think Washington's good. It's just because it's a weird year. All right. Minnesota, two and a half point favorite at home against Green Bay. Mm, mm, mm. Give me Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is going to throw for 450 yards. Yeah, I'll take. I'll take Green Bay too. I think uh, Rodgers has a chip on his shoulder this year. Two, Minnesota, two and a half favorite. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take Minnesota on the over. Drew Brees and the Saints, a three and a half point favorite against Tom Brady, Gronk, and the Buccaneers. Mm. Give me the Saints. Mm. I'll take the over. Give me the Saints. I think. I, I, think, I, I think Tampa's gonna. I think Tampa's offense is gonna be kind of a bummer compared to what people are expecting. Tampa is gonna be the uh, the the Cleveland Browns of 2020, where everyone is expecting them to have all this magic, and they have none of it. Um, I'm going to take the Saints, but I think Kevin's very wrong about Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers being the Cleveland Browns. I just think that it's gonna take them a no. Wild Do you he means in, in terms of ex- expectations versus people coming like they got Odell, they got Baker, Jarvis in his second year, they got yeah, Jarvis. They had Nick the, the, level, the level of talent that we're talking about here is so different. We're talking about the difference between Tom Brady and Baker Mayfield. I mean, that's yeah, forty. Three-year-old Tom Brady, and before last year, his days are ahead of him. Tom Brady. No, I don't. I think I think that Tom Brady is going to continue to torment me, um, and tormenting me this year is going to mean Mike Evans is not getting touchdowns because I have him in one of my leagues. This did Um, exactly what I hoped it would. All right, and that's what made Brett mad this week. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Bills in our six. Okay, (laughs) here we go. We got three more here. Bills six and a half point favorite against the Jets. Bills, Jets. Josh Allen's um, going to run for 100 yards and throw for 300 yards. It, I think it, that would be his first 300-yard game. Um, I think the Bills are going to win, but I'm taking the under. Okay, Rams, three-point favorite, three favorite at home against the Cowboys. Uh, the Rams are going to cover. Rams are going to cover. Rams. All right. Yeah, I'll take the Rams. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm taking Dallas. Tristan okay. Jackson catches a touchdown. He made the team. He is in the, re- the receiving core. And Hold on, last... actually, hang on, hang on. Uh, yeah, let me yeah. let me take let me take that. Let me. I'll take the Rams, but I'm going to take the under, uh, for sure. Cam yeah. Akers, look for Cam Akers. He's gonna he's gonna surprise. All right, let's uh, last one Monday night. Tennessee two and a half point favorite at Denver. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> I, I I think they cover. I All think right. Ryan Tannehill's found a system that works for him. I think he's for real. He's gonna have a good game. All right, uh, sure. just. Just sure. to play. Take to show. I'm, I'm, hmm? I'm, I'm taking Denver. 
Yeah, I'll take Tennessee on the over, whatever. Derrick Henry's me... going to go off. Uh, Eagles, Vikings, Saints, uh, Bills on the uh, – but I don't think that's going to be six and a half, so I guess that would be the Jets. Uh, Rams and give me the, the Tennessee. So there we go. And now it's time to find out what made Brett mad this week. Yep, I'll go first because uh, I'm excited about this one. Brett, have you ever heard the name, what's his face, Singer, the Royals pitcher? Uh, I don't know if you watched the game tonight. Who broke up this his no-no? This is all dependent on if you watched the game tonight, which it sounds like you did not. I, I, I did not watch, but I'm aware of what you're talking about. I, I'm not. Who broke up the no-no? Who so was yeah, it? Some, it's going to be some, someone that Brett rookie pitcher from, from uh, the Royals, who I'd never heard of, uh, took the, the, the Indians uh, to a no-no into the sixth inning. And no, and they had – I think they scored one in the ninth, and that was it. Final score 11-1. to one. Uh, I think that's what made Brett mad this week, but I doesn't look. I'm like, shocked they got the one. Doesn't look like I was right because yeah, well. I think Brett's mad that Joe tried to rain on his parade while he was trying to be positive. I just don't know how to handle it. I didn't. I didn't know what to do. It, it rattled me to my core. All right, Joe. Uh, I I'm gonna say that Brett's mad because he's disappointed in the return that Cleveland got for Clevenger. Mad and disappointed are two very different things. So but disappointment can make you angry because they should have made a better trade. Yeah, you wanted you wanted I, Clint Fraser back. Yeah, um, my expectations for the Indians are not as high as I think you guys think they are. Getting swept by the Royals made me angry angrier than just the game tonight. But the the thing that actually made me mad this week, um, we've already kind of talked about, and it's. The division um, in the locker room with Abdul Adams and Jarvan Howard, I, not not so much within the locker room, but with people ripping on these running backs for being quote-unquote selfish, these guys aren't getting paid. These guys are making a decision that they think is best for their future. They have an opportunity because of the COVID times to make that decision without ruining their eligibility. They don't owe us as fans anything. They, if, if they think this is the best way for them to move their careers forward, I wish them the best. And I don't think it's on anyone to be calling them selfish. I mean, sure, they're doing what's best for them. Isn't that what you're supposed to be doing in college? The, the only thing I could say is if they were trying to figure it out based on their playing time, that, that would be upsetting. But it's, it's tough for me to get mad at college athletes for trying to do what's going to be best for them, given how unfair the college system is structured. I just, I, I can't do it. Um, I do want to give a special shout out to Skip Bayless for being a complete jackass, though. Um, it didn't quite make it, but it, it probably should have. Enemy of the podcast. Enemy of the podcast. Wait, are we going to name Skip Bayless? I think, was that? I think Skip Bayless has a thing worth saying every once in a while. I don't. And I don't have I don't. a particular hatred 
I actually really enjoy the Richard Sherman, Skip Bayless uh, interchange from, you know, maybe like 10 years ago, which is fantastic. But I mean, like, I don't really have any animosity towards Skip Bayless. So I, you're wrong. I think I wasn't I, expecting I, to get vetoed on that one. I really, really was not. I don't want to make him an enemy of the podcast because I don't want to give him that recognition. I don't want to be talking about him anymore. I want to ignore him because he says stuff like this and he gets clicks and that's what ticks me off the most. Uh, Just for those who are not aware, Skip Bayless said that Dak Prescott was weak and not a good leader because he said that he was suffering from depression after his brother committed suicide. Uh, And he said that on his um, TV show, and uh, that makes you a pretty bad person well, to say me, something let like me, that. Let me let me also caveat. I, I also had not heard that quote, um, but I don't think <laughs> that I don't think that the enemy of the podcast segment really needs to attack anybody who is a shitty person or says a bad thing because we're just gonna be doing that all day. I look at the Syracuse and Three IL Pod universe, and I find how a particular person. Is, is attributed, you know, they are directly uh, lined up with uh, that universe. I don't see. I Skip nominate Bayless. Kevin as an enemy of the podcast <laughs> for his bad takes on Skip Bayless. I um, like I, watching Kevin go in reverse I, at a hundred miles yeah, an hour and watching I, his I, face I, I as I explain I mean, what happened. Kevin, you're if, if anything, you're making me want to change my vote, and I almost want to make Bayless an enemy of the podcast now, just because. Just, <laughs> Yeah, I'll take the hit. I'll take the hit. No, rescind it. I rescind it. It's not watching, worth it. The, watching Kevin's face at the moment that he realized why we were uh, talking about Skip Bayless was was pretty funny. Well, uh, I mean, Kevin, right, we, we, we shouldn't use that segment just to attack anybody. Um, but I, I, I need to at least hear from Kevin that everything about that man is awful. He's just a windbag that doesn't need to be on television. And then I'm going to let it go. Yeah, he's a boob. Move on. Thank you. Thank <laughs> All you. right. There we have it. Well, and that is the end of another episode of Three Idiots and a Lawyer. I don't know if there's a better way to end than he's a boob. Uh, anyway. <laughs> he's a boob. She's a boob. You're a boob. Hey, we're, we're all boob. Yeah. I just want to take a minute because because Matt, <laughs> Matt Matt is going to be away from us for a little bit. Uh, on that note, right? Moving past uh, that, Matt's going to be away from us for uh, a couple of weeks. So uh, I was going to ask, do you have any? I don't want to say last words, but maybe parting advice, thoughts, advice uh, for the podcast in your in your absence, or or just departing, you know, favors. Uh, my my parting words for the podcast, uh, since I will be gone for most of football season, is to enjoy football. Uh, well, uh, you know, enjoy it. That depends uh, on the O line. Enjoy enjoy watching it. Give these guys the benefit of the doubt. They're young. They're learning. Uh, just uh, know that we are in an odd situation this year, and if the season doesn't go as well as we're hoping, uh, or as people would hope. It's not the end of the world. Um, Dino Babers is still going to be there next year. I think um, this the recruiting is still good. This team is is getting there, but building up a program to sustain is going to take a while. So uh, there are going to be good weeks here. There are going to be some bad weeks. Enjoy the football. Uh, I will see you on the other end. It's going to be closer to the end of football season when I come back. But uh, I, I'm going to miss talking to you guys. But uh, we will be in touch soon. Yeah, uh, really? if you ha- 
Can't wait to trash Notre Dame with you uh, whenever we do the preview for that game because I'm imagining oh. that that's going to be – you'll be back for that one, right? Oh, yeah, that's in December. Oh, I will be back. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, I would make an oh, exception yeah. to be back for that one <laughs> uh, to say anything I want about Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, and I will be back in time. We can talk about college football. I can talk about maybe if I can convince these three to let me talk about the NASCAR championship race. Because uh, it'll be back, I'll be back, and it'll be time for the final four uh, at the Phoenix race. Now, be kind of fun, and I won't talk too long about that for our listeners because I don't know how many people are NASCAR fans. At least one, yeah. It, at least one. That's right. Uh, so, if you have the 1990 NCAA Lacrosse Trophy, you should reach out to this podcast while I'm gone and let these guys at least know that you have it and that you are protecting it. You don't have to tell them exactly where it is. Just let us know that uh, we have it. Uh, And until next time, which for me is going to be a little bit longer, so long, enjoy football season. For Matt Pfeiffer, Kevin O'Keefe, Joe Shell, and Brett Fortnum, we'll see you next time. (laughs) 